2: No one warned us. No one said you were going to lose both engines at a lower altitude than any jet in history. Simulations showed that you could make it back to the airport. Not possible. I felt it go. From director Clint Eastwood, critics are calling it a triumph. Five stars. Break for impact. What if I didn't get this wrong? What if I endangered the lives of all those passengers?
1: People call you a hero. I don't feel like a hero.
2: Sully, Miracle on the Hudson. In cinemas, December 2nd. Certificate 12A.
0: This week's episode of the Tottenham Way is dedicated to Michael Harney, who sadly passed away last week. Mike was an incredibly popular member of Spurs Twitter, and he is already greatly missed. Hello welcome to Season 2, Episode 13 of the Tottenham Way Podcast. I'm Tom and I'm your host. Joining me this week, as usual, is Dan Kilpatrick. Hey, Dan. Hello,
1: brother. You alright? Very well, thanks.
0: Good. Nice to see you. Um, Joining us as well, very excited to welcome Tom Allnut from Press Association, not Associated Press. Is that right? That's correct. Because I, in the original running order, put Associated Press and Dan said, no, it's not the same thing. And I didn't realise this. So we nearly got your name
1: wrong. And your company. <laughs> yeah, Dan. So luckily I'm correct as well. Cheers, guys. Yeah, it's good to yeah. <laughs> yeah, Welcome, you know? welcome.
0: Um, tell us a bit about what you do with the Press Association.
1: Well, the Associated Press
2: is like the, the American version of like the Press Association, which is like the British version, right? So, oh, right. And oh, I actually okay. used to work for the Associated Press. Oh, so, you weren't, mate, so you weren't that wrong. So, so we we're, were both wrong. right. Yeah, so yeah. my friends are really, really confused by that. But okay. yeah, the, the Press Association, is like a... Uh, it's like uh, the, the company, um, basically newspapers and, and broadcasters sort of pay the PA to uh, go out and about and write everything and they can use whatever we, we produce. So it's like a... So you're like it's outsourcing? Like, yeah, way. it's like a sort of sports journalism version of Netflix. You know, like, you basically pay for it and then you can have whatever you want and then you can use it however you
1: like. So ESPN uses PA quite a lot. Yeah, I thought... So I'd if, say, I'll go to a game and afterwards I'll go and speak to the players and not the manager then I'll send an email saying, not, not in the manager, can you take it off the wire? And that means, can you use press association copy? But they don't use the name of the person who wrote it, do
0: they?
2: They put press association
0: at the top, is it's, that right? Especially
2: like, once they have it, it's entirely up to them. So they can, oh. they can say it's by Tom Allnut. they can say it's by the PA, by the press association. Sometimes they just put their own guy's name on it, whatever. Wow. Yeah, we say
1: press association sport. Sorry, Often Dan sorry, mate, just mugs my off. articles. Then yeah, puts
2: Dan Kilpatrick at the top. <laughs> yeah. And what you don't know is it's all, it's me most of my best work is all the just work. Tom's. This is yeah. the way of
0: paying you back. You understand as well. Just <laughs> like I oh, will give you I don't know, half an hour on the pod. Um, no, not at all welcome. But you were at the Emirates yesterday, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, I was.
2: Yeah, Dan, Interesting you again.
0: weren't. <sighs> it's bumped.
1: I wasn't. You there. were bumped, weren't you?
0: <laughs> What's the story behind that? Why was uh, ESPN Zone t- um, correspondent Dan Kilpatrick not allowed in the Emirates?
1: Well, we we only got. Two press passes. We we only get two press passes for each game, and the Arsenal correspondent gets priority because it was at the Emirates. And ESPN also sent Nick Ames, and they also sent Miguel Delaney. So Whoa. there were three people, and I didn't make the cut. Those are the big boys. Those are know. the big. Those are the big names. Those guys are are really great. So I've, I've got no problem with it, and it was quite nice. I went to the pub. For the first time in a long time, it's not what he was saying out there. He was slagging them all around. Yeah. Was... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, that, I know you're listening, lads. So. Yeah. Not trying true. to get in on Miguel's past. <laughs> so, yeah, no, yeah, no,
0: It's a plus one. It's a plus one. Tom, um, so you are you are a Spurs fan as well, we should say. So Dan talks quite a lot on the pod about how weird, not weird, but the the difference between watching it from inside a press box and and kind of writing live on the game and stuff. In comparison to watching it, as he just said, like down the pub, do you find it? Do you find it harder to watch as a fan, or do you find it difficult as a journalist? What way round, or is it just a balance of the two? It's really,
2: uh, it is really different. I mean, I think that the main thing is if you watch it on TV, obviously you have the commentary, like you have like a computer off in front of you, like, Twitter in front of you, like you have stats right there. So you, you kind of have your opinion like checked all the time by other people, and and you kind of can re- refer it against the commentators and everything. You see replays all the time, whereas I think when you're in the press box everything's much more immediate it's a lot more like quick and you have to kind of make your mind up quickly and that can be difficult and often mm. obviously you spend a lot of the time I think you've said before like looking down basically typing and looking things up and checking as Kane scored five goals against Arsenal or six you know and, and as a result obviously you miss the kind of
1: like the you blur basically in between. Basically don't you know, watch the like... second half <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it's a you shame, watch the first though. half get an idea of how the game's going and then most of the, from about 70 minutes onward, just like the big moments or yeah. the odd couple of you're minutes. Praying and then you're praying for things not to happen almost. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So Dan, as you were in the pub yesterday, did you find the second half more stressful or less stressful in that sense?
1: Well, I hate to admit this, but I do, I found a level of detachment because it was the first game I watched in the pub for a long time. They haven't been there. Well, the first big game, I didn't go to Liverpool in the cup. So I found I had a bit more, a bit more detachment than I had before I started the job. But it's definitely more stressful being in the pub, mm. being because like, being in the in the press box, being at work. Well, that's it. You are at work. You've got a job to do, and you you can't afford to be Most too times. emotionally invested in mm. in the game. You have to you have to be thinking. I've got a report to do. I've, I've got tweets to do. Whatever, as, as Tom says, you're the person in many cases who's reacting and, and kind of sort of setting the. The agenda, as it were, on on Twitter or, or online, so you can't You're really the trusted afford. Voice. Can't I'd, I'd, I wouldn't say that myself, but... Well, you know, no, you, you didn't get you... into the Emirates. <laughs> <laughs> Miguel is a trusted voice. Yeah. Yeah. Miguel as an You're Tom Carroll to his Moussa Dembele. Precisely. But occasionally Tom Carroll starts games. <laughs> he <does>. <laughs> <laughs> and he's the trusted <laughs> voice, isn't he? And gets mugged off on Twitter. So yeah. I can see what exactly <laughs> yeah it is. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great on, analogy.
0: <laughs> you, all week you were... Um, actually, two things. First of all, I'm actually going to apologise to you because you were telling me all last week, like, we are going to be fine at the Emirates. And I know you're, you're quite calm when it comes to Tottenham anyway, which is probably why you're the journalist and I'm just the loudmouth who gets to host the pod. Mm. But... Mm. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Mm. <laughs> but you all week you were like, it is, we're going to be fine. It's a derby, it's completely different. And I even brought stats last week to be like, well, no, form doesn't completely go out the window because we've won once in 54 games away at Arsenal and Chelsea. And yet despite our recent form, which has been... The form's not been awful in terms of results, but there's been some shockers recently, most notably Leverkusen. And after that, I just thought, this is, like, end of days. We're going to get absolutely annihilated at the Emirates. Mm. And even after that, you were like, it's going to be fine. It, yeah, it will be fine. And the it, voice of reason. It genuinely was as well. And <laughs> I, it's a bit of a worrying world where you're right. Um Yeah, look, I... Th-
1: so I apologise. Thanks, mate. But I mean, part of it was bravado it makes me feel a bit better to to say that but yeah I I genuinely didn't feel again it's difficult to to sort of detach between the being a fan and being a journalist but on on both fronts I genuinely didn't think Spurs had that much to worry about I didn't feel particularly pessimistic
0: did you feel better or worse after um or more optimistic less optimistic after Leverkusen
1: well I think I felt less optimistic because that was a really disjointed performance I think If you take away Newcastle away, which was kind of an anomaly, and I think most people agree that it was a sort of anomaly, that was the worst performance since the very early days under Pochettino where he was still playing Kabul, he was still playing Aliboyor, he was still getting to grips with it. It hasn't been that disjointed and out of sync since then. But I felt like the last thing Spurs wanted was another game in the league against a team who was going to be happy for a draw, sit back, not come at them and, and just frustrate them. And I think the fact that it was... At Arsenal, and they had to play. They always play. They were going to come at Tottenham. And the fact that it was a derby and, and form does matter less. I, I felt like those things were good news, I suppose, not bad news.
0: Fair enough. Tom, did you go to Wembley in midweek? Yeah. What was uh, your thing of the
2: performance? Yeah, it was. I mean, disjointed, I think, is, is pretty kind. Right? I mean, I, Tottenham were just all over the place. Like, from minute one, I mean, Vertonghen sliced a clearance up and in the air and Loris pinged out a throw, I think, out into touch. Mm. And it was just like... I mean it was partly Leverkusen in the way they pressed Tottenham like right from the off. I think they they learned from the first the first match. From after half time they were a lot more aggressive from the outset and I think they realized actually like this is how to play Tottenham. And Schmidt said that before the game. He said the best way to play a team who like to press and like to attack is to do that do that to them and they they did that really well and Tottenham just didn't really know how to to handle it. But I think that's been a kind of a little bit of a theme recently. I don't know if teams are slightly starting to think this works against Spurs but we saw it Bournemouth a bit like that like Bournemouth, you know, they didn't sit back. They didn't kind of say, oh, look, you know, we're going to hold on and try and counter Spurs. But I think teams used to do against Tottenham quite a lot. Now mm. they're sort of saying, okay, the best way to play Tottenham is to play them in their own game and to sort of press them all over the place and, and don't allow for Tongan and Dyer and the back kind of, and Lloris as well, just to have the ball, and have time to kind of look up and, and sort of dictate the game. People are really sort of pushing Tottenham right from the right from the back. Mm. and they, they need to find a way basically to play against that because almost... I think Arsenal almost missed a trick, really, yesterday, because I thought, I thought if they'd done their homework, then maybe they would have done the same thing. And they kind of actually... And maybe Pochettino playing three at the back also helped that because they obviously they had more men at the back, so they had more numbers to kind well, of dictate That's what I was going to say. I
1: think that point is a really good point, and it leads nicely into the formation stuff because yeah. the key thing Pochettino said before the Arsenal game was that he thought the transition from defence to attack was was part of the reason for the, the struggles in front of Gold, didn't he? he said something like, the ball's not arriving in the final third in a good condition, and most of us, well, I certainly thought, oh, he's going to play Winks, that means he's going to change it up in midfield, but actually... He was a
0: bit sort of coy about that as well, wasn't he? Well, in
1: the same press conference that he said that, he said maybe Winks would start, so I have put two and two together and thought, oh, okay, he's, he's going to throw him in because he wants someone who can play the ball from deep into forward areas and he's got do it in a he's do got it quickly do it accurately it well. yeah and, and he's got history of throwing people into the derby but actually he was presumably thinking let's get an extra man back there have more of a platform more men to build from the back and yeah i agree with tom i think arsenal maybe missed the trick but i think it also sort of surprised them in the first half an hour and like they didn't really expect it and they weren't really sure what to do with it. Mm.
2: They did work it out eventually. But, it's funny because yeah. we came out of the press conference and we were all thinking, oh, maybe Winks is going to play and then suddenly Winks walked down the stairs, like through the... I know someone told there. me this. Yeah. Who told
1: me this? Um, Jack yeah. said, oh, a few, a few guys bumped into Winks here. I was like, I, mean, I, didn't I bloody didn't. Yeah, he was sort of walking <laughs> out,
2: basically, with his wash bag or whatever and we sort of thought, we just was Harry, you're gonna do you think you're going to play on the weekend? Are you going to start? And he, yeah. of, and he looked at us completely like... Emptily, you know, he's like, I don't know, i got no idea, mate, like, mm-hmm. you know, why, as he said something, and we were like, oh no, he just, you know, maybe, like, he seems to be quite positive about it, you know, maybe have an early night on Saturday, <laughs> maybe, yeah. Yeah. so we kind of felt bad, because we sort of thought maybe he'd be like, freaked him out, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> we his hopes up massively, <laughs> yeah, in, like.
0: yeah, he's turned up on Sunday, kit on, <laughs> where am I playing, boss,
2: yeah,
0: ah, oh, that's a shame, just before we move on from Leverkusen, because we should talk about it, because it was poor, but... From a Spurs point of view, how much do you think Wembley is playing on the minds of the players? Because we could sort of pass off Monaco as the first one. It, we we said at the time it was a bit gimmicky and maybe the players weren't 100% focused on the fact that this was a game of football against a really good side. And it was like, I turned up against them last year, 4-1 at home, not much has changed, we'll probably walk this and it'll be absolutely fine. But we can't really have that excuse this time and we would just bad weren't we there was nothing much to it and uh, Tom you were right that Leverkusen were good and they had learned a lot of lessons from the first game but that's not it doesn't really explain how we couldn't just put two passes together or why nearly every pass from the back was coming up short and nothing was really sticking to the front men and I know Yansen you know, is a big talking point at the moment but he came on on half an hour didn't he and mm-hmm. nothing really changed did it? so do you, is there anything in well, the wembley think, factor are we are we we got Siska in what two weeks
1: Siska. 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 <laughs> i Siska. i think wembley could be a, a really big positive or could have been a really big positive for tottenham but what tom said just now was was quite relevant i think from the very first minute against leverkusen we gave the ball away Two or three times, I think Sissoko lost the ball, after about a minute, then Lloris gave it to them about three times in the first four minutes. And actually, Spurs have the potential to. I think if if they'd have got a good start and had Son scored that goal against Monaco, maybe Mm. I think everything would have been different. if they got a good start in 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 both games because there were 85,000 fans there, and the atmosphere I think was was bubbling up quite nicely, ready to be ready to be quite electric. And in the end. Spurs just were just so poor that the whole thing just went flat, and then I think that was playing on. I think that got got in the players' heads, and they just didn't. They just don't look at home at Wembley mm. at all. I didn't think that there were just a couple of times where they were literally passing two or three yards in front of a player or two or three yards behind them, and it just looked like none of the players felt comfortable on the pitch. And it proved to be a bigger motivator for Leverkusen than it did for Spurs. Mm.
2: Yeah, they, I mean they do look really disorientated there. Like they just, they're, yeah, it, it, the pitch is slow as well. I think and I think that does mm. not doesn't help. You watch when England play there. Okay, so England don't fizz the ball around, but they they the ball just hold up quite a lot. So even if you play a ball from one side of the pitch to the other under no pressure, it takes a long time to get there. And the way Tottenham like to play, they like to play things quite quick. You know, they like to fizz, like push it into people and put, move people around. And one of their big things, Spurs, is switching the be, the uh, the play really quickly. You know, and moving the other team around quickly, and, and that. They can't really do that at Wembley. Mm. But I do think that the statistics thing is, is a little bit overblown because people kind of often don't say that if you play at Wembley, you play against good teams all the time. If like you look at the teams at that- Spurs have played against there you know they played what Chelsea three or four times there mm. they played United yeah. there they played Leverkusen there they played Monaco you know these aren't teams we won't mention Portsmouth but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah but yeah, these aren't you can't, you can't compare it to a Premier League record you know mm. where you're playing Burnley and West Brom you know yeah. every team they played at Wembley had been mm. a decent team okay maybe save Portsmouth you know so that record that whole like they've only once won once in seven or whatever it was you know mm. that's I think slightly like uh, exaggerated mm. but there is definitely something not quite right
0: yeah Um, And I don't think it's quite the same scenario for a a Champions League group game and a cup final. It is completely different because, I mean, we've doubled the capacity of Spurs fans in there. There's no kind of back and forth and there's no kind of flow of the crowd, which I've noticed. It's as soon as things aren't going perfectly on the pitch at Wembley in the Champions League, there's no... We're not reacting against anything, because usually you'd have, against Chelsea or United, half the stadium would be kind of cheering on their side, whereas you've just got this tiny little block of people. I know Leverkusen were good, but it's just a little block of people in Wembley that are very much the away team, and because it's so cavernous, Wembley, and when it's quiet, it's very quiet, but when it's loud, it's very loud. But if we're not singing and we're not reacting to what we're seeing on the pitch, which there wasn't a lot to react to... It's quite empty and it's quite lonely in a way. I, can't, I can imagine if you're not having a great game, 90,000 Spurs fans is probably not the audience you want to be having a bad game in front <laughs> yeah. of, that, is it? Um, but we moved on and we did change formation and it was kind of early doors. People were wondering about whether it was going to be three at the back when it was announced that Vimmer was starting. Um, but it couldn't have really been any other any other way could it because were we thinking about Dyer and Wanyama playing cent- central that, midfield but
1: I think it could have been well, there was a possibility it was going to be Dyer, Wanyama and Dembele in the most brutish midfield yeah. in <laughs> Premier League history but, but I think Pochettino said pretty early on to BT that he, he was gone through at the back mm.
0: a lot of people asked us the question do you think it's going to be something that we're going to be doing um, sort of long term and we did mention this last week and we were saying about how Possibly Vertongen and Alderweireld would could potentially be very, very, uh, very, very good in this sort of formation, and we we're talking about how Chelsea do it or something similar. Was it just a reaction to a our league form and b just the personnel that was available to us, or do you see that being something a bit more ongoing?
1: I think it's not a huge change from the norm. That's, that's an important thing to say. Well, because Daniel
0: Bourne, sorry, just quickly, at yeah. Bourne86 Bourne, isn't yesterday's formation pretty much what we played for the whole of last season without anyone really noticing? Which I thought was quite a, a good question. Yeah, because... I don't I don't
1: disagree with that. I think it was... Last season, Dyer dropped in between the centre-backs, split the centre-backs a lot, and then the full-backs pushed on. And I think a lot of people did notice that. I mean, almost every week, you know, someone was tweeting, mm. oh, look, Dyer's dropped between the centre-backs. This was this was a bit more rigid because I think the middle centre-half was Vertonghen. No. It's,
0: uh, against Arsenal? Yeah. It was Vimmer.
1: Oh, was it
0: Vimmer? Yeah, Vertonghen was very much kind of left, almost left back.
1: I tell a line. Okay, it was Vimmer. Apologise. Uh, sorry, everyone. <laughs> All the uh, good kudos you had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The yeah. reason <laughs> response. This earlier. is why they sent this Miguel. Is, yeah. no, Never going to live that down, am I? Miguel
0: definitely would have noticed that Vimmer Miguel did different.
1: notice. <laughs> So, well, the point stands. the 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 middle centre half was was Vimmer. In fact, the point's even more valid now oh, go because, on. well, Dyer was kind of dropping in and out, wasn't he, last season? I think mm. he he would he would drop back, and it was very noticeable. And then the the two other centre backs would split, and the full backs would push up. And it against Arsenal, it was a bit more of a flat back three. I thought um, they, they were sort of there to stay a bit more, and, and the full backs were starting positions was a bit higher. But I don't think it was a huge change from from what we did last season. So, and, and again, the four-one-four-one, I think there was a lot made of that, but it didn't. At times, it didn't look to me any different to the four-two-three-one. Mm. It depends, you know, on the ball, off the ball. It takes a very keen eye to to really know the minute differences between between the formations. But I guess
0: the the, the three at the back this time was the, the central player was Vimmer, and he was almost. He was playing centre back, and Vatongen and Dyer were getting on the ball quite a lot. I think one of our, two of our um, most used passing combinations was Vatongen to Rose, and Dyer to Walker, which is a kind of understandable. And we did play a lot in our own half, but that, there was quite a marked back three. And I think after Vimmer was booked, he was a lot deeper than he, he even was before. So this is a definite quite a set three. Rose and Walker have got the freedom to go
1: forward. That's what I just said, isn't it? Well,
0: I think so, but I can't remember what my point was. <laughs> yeah. I think that I'm was my point, I think I'm, no, You're doing sorry, my point. You're just articulating it better. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, do you think this is a sign of more flexibility from Potts, or have has he always had flexibility?
2: I think I, I think he's always been fairly flexible. I mean, last season. He didn't have that much room to be flexible because the players he had, he almost had to play almost the same team every week. Mm-hmm. You know, at least the same thirteen players pretty much played. This year he's got a little bit more room for manoeuvre. I think the three at the back was more of a. I think he was almost protecting sort of Dyer and Vertonghen. He, I don't think had a didn't have a great game basically against Leverkusen. I thought he thought look, it's such a fundamental tenet of the way Pochettino plays to have to play out from the back he's like we're not going to sacrifice that but the best way to keep doing it is to put another guy in there and then we'll have a three rather than a two so basically there's less pressure you know like even if if Arsenal play one up front which they're pretty much always going to do even someone like Sanchez who's as energetic as anyone he's not really going to win a 3v1 keep ball game all game you know Mm. so they have those three at the back they they had a much firmer base and I saw you tweeted down earlier like Tottenham one of the Only teams for a long time have beaten Arsenal in terms of possession, right? Or in terms of I retweeted something, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. They yeah something like the last
1: the last ten teams have more possession than Spurs. The last ten matches, four were Spurs, which is incredible. That's Mm.
2: impressive, especially at the Emirates. And I think like Pochettino realised that the best way to to get a, a foothold in the game was to get a foothold at the back. And I think my playing three there, it, it really went well. Yeah. We, yeah.
1: Can I just follow that up, yeah. the, the point about flexibility? Because I really agree with Tom. I really think the the accusation that Pochettino is rigid or lacks flexibility is, is a complete nonsense. I think it's the opposite. He's one of the most pragmatic coaches in the whole of Europe, in the Premier League, certainly. Like he He works with what he's got. So, I mean, last year... For instance, you know he felt he lacked a holding midfielder, so he just converted Dyer into holding midfield. I think that's a sign of of not only good coaching but also flexibility. And I think he, as soon as he had two strikers, he played them both in a game. Whereas people the whole of last season, people were saying, "Oh, he's he's stuck on this formation. He'd never play two up front." But you know what, Janssen's third game, he played him with Kane. Second, I think wasn't it? Second, Palace or second at home, game, yeah. Palace at home, and I think he's he's a manager who. He has a philosophy and he bangs on about it a lot, but I think he still fundamentally wants to get the best 11 players on the pitch. And I think if he had a superstar, he would change his philosophy. I think if he had different players, he would change his philosophy. I think he works with what he's got very well.
0: Yeah, fair enough um let's talk about Kane because is it, it is very exciting to have him back Ollie Whitefoot at O Whitefoot asks does having Kane back mean everything's going to be okay Which right like, a really simple <laughs> in the world <laughs> it, it kind of is because i think everyone was obviously quite excited but uh, there was a little bit of um it, it was tempered a bit yesterday because it was everyone knew he wasn't quite fit and he was clearly being nursed through that opening 10 15 minutes i think son was kind of doing all of his running and we were just looking at how was his touch if we fire it up to him, it, there was a lot of playing out from the back, which is, I think, what Pochettino does, and especially away at the Emirates, we do seem to do that quite well anyway. But I definitely think we were just seeing how we how he we went a bit. Um, in the end, he kind of did the only thing that he was on the pitch that we needed him to do, which was score a penalty in the end. Um, but it's great to have him back, isn't it? Though if Jansen had been on the pitch, he would have Yeah, he I was, was going to say, a specialist. You know? Yeah, but... I mean he was terrible when he came on and, it, it, but, and the way it's going for him I, I, I'm quite indifferent to Janssen I, I'm just going to see how it goes but it, it wouldn't have been if if you were told someone's going to step up for a penalty it's Vincent Jansen who scored his last two or it's Harry Kane in the North London Derby, you're still going to yeah, pick yeah, Harry Kane course. even at 40% or whatever he was at by that point because he was blowing out of his ass by the end, um, the end of his 70 minute
2: show but It's just great, isn't it? It's
0: amazing to have him back.
2: Yeah, I think 90% of Kane's impact was psychological, in (laughs) my opinion. I mean, like if he hadn't scored the penalty and he'd come off after 72 minutes and Tottenham had lost 2-0, people would have said... He wasn't ready because he didn't really play very well. Like he, like people, there was a couple of passes that went into him. He just didn't quite collect them. When normally I think he would have been a bit sharper and got them. And Mm. he tried to go around a couple of players, and he wasn't didn't have that acceleration. It's entirely understandable to play from the start after not having played a minute in seven weeks. Like he wasn't quite there, but just having him on the pitch, I think, gave the fans a lift. It gave the players a lift. And you know, I think it was I think was a gamble worth taking. I mean, I think Mm. Pochettino. He was asked afterwards, you know, was it how much of a risk was it to play Kane today? As if you know, maybe he was only 80% fit or something. And Pochettino sort of said, "Look, we're we're not amateurs. Like, we're we're prof- we are professionals. You know, like <laughs> as in, like, you know, they they do their work. They know exactly when someone is ready. Like, and Pochettino's is not the kind of manager who takes that kind of risk. So mm. he was obviously 100% fit, just not quite match fit. And mm. so I think it was, I think Pochettino probably weighed it up and thought, you know what, like, the effect that he can have emotionally on the rest of the team is is worth it."
0: There was, a, there was a lot of tweets being retweeted as is always the way on Derby Day but a lot of tweets being retweeted from the other side and Arsenal fans, when it was announced that Harry Kane stood a really good chance of playing just some of the tweets that were coming out is just pure fear because they're, they're just like, he he's going to be pumped full of drugs to be able to get through this and they were just like, they were listing names of painkilling injections that they could have had. It, yeah, honestly, they've done their research <laughs> they were just and it's, it's pure fear and it's Brilliant, and we haven't had, had haven't had a player like that for a long time. Like Bale was great, but probably only did it what once. Well, that's it. I Arsenal. mean, the just of... can't stop doing it against Arsenal.
1: Yeah, I mean, Tom's mentioned the psychological effect on the Spurs fans and the Spurs players, but it would have had an effect on Arsenal as well mm. because he always scores against Arsenal. So just sit, just him being in the team, his name on the team sheet, would, would have made uh, Koscielny and. Um, What's his face? Mustafi. Mustafi, Mustafi. Yeah. yeah, think twice. Whereas I think if if Janssen had been up there, they'd have quite fancied oh, it.
0: They would have mopped up. Yeah. So it,
1: yeah. I, I, again, I agree. I, I think it was a, a risk well worth taking, mm. and yeah, it, it's paid off. And, and as an aside, what do we think about the England thing? Well, I was kind going to ask about that at is the end coming up. the next bit. Forgive yeah. me. Okay. Um,
0: just before we go off Arsenal, we, we should talk about, well, there was quite a few standout performances, but Rose was kind of kicked up in the air and just constantly on the floor, battered and bruised, as he usually is. Um, Ericsson was a lot better, and I kind of dug him out in the end of the first half because I was just annoyed in general because we were losing, and Ericsson's just my new punching bag, really, but I didn't think he was very good. But he was a lot better for the whole game is a lot better than he has been of late. Probably should have scored as well. I think he should have scored that left foot chance that he had just been He after should he have scored that one that Czech saved. Yeah, it was very central after mm. like when you saw the replay from um, in front of the goal. Um but Dembele and Wanyama were just excellent, weren't they? And Wanyama we should mention did beat the crap out of Theo Walcott a little bit <laughs> <laughs> which I'm the I'm the non journalist here. I can say I enjoyed that. You two have to be professional <laughs> and say that you didn't.
1: Um, Did not enjoy it. No, of course. Um,
0: Talk about Dembele. Talk to me. Yeah, I th-
1: that the 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 thing about that formation is it it is it is a change, despite me saying it's not a huge change. You know, it, it is slightly different, and it's going to suit some players better than others. And I think maybe that's it suited Ericsson a bit better than than the four one four one has because he's not really a he's not really a kind of centre midfielder. He is a kind of system player, and I think when you give him a a job to do, he's a specific job to do. He's 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 better. Dembele, yeah, he hasn't really been fit. I mm. don't think. I still don't think he is quite. Yeah, and and he, who who was it? He said last week, either you or Greg, that when Dembele's not fit, you can kind of tell that he's not fit. Was was that? I think yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah I think it was. Greg he's just Gordon, not. He's I just think. not the same player. When he's fit, he's just majestic, and he can shrug people off the ball. He can go past the man. He can. You know, beat two or three men with a drop of a shoulder, and I think he, Poshcini said it afterwards, you know, he's a genius, he makes yeah. all the difference for
0: Spurs. He won the penalty doing exactly that, so he dropped dropped a shoulder and received the ball, knocked off someone else, ran past somebody, took it inside. It never really looked like he was going to score, put it that way. I think the best thing that could have I happened. Spurs only happened. score penalties now. Well, so. yeah, of
1: course. Um,
2: but yeah, what did you think of Dembele from the press box, let's say? Yeah, I mean, I think, like as, going through my Dembélé is always well, he's, he's really become like a big game player. Like when so much, so many of his best performances, I think, for Tottenham have been against Arsenal. Against, I mean, maybe not his best against Chelsea last year, but you know, you could tell he was really fired up for that game. He's not the kind of player who sort of withers under a challenge. You know, he gets really up for it. I, I think he he's become so important to the way Tottenham play in these big games because he's the one guy who. When everything is going hectic around around him, when the tempo is really high, which it often is the way Tottenham play, it's often very chaotic. Dembélé has that ability just to put his foot on the ball and keep it, and he can shrug people off, and he can just sort of recycle. He can almost dictate the tempo himself. And mm. it was quite a thing yesterday when you look at all the technical players that Arsenal have, all those creative midfielders that they have, which is the massive strength of Arsenal. That Dembélé almost really looked like the best player on the pitch, you know, and. and that's quite a thing to say, really. Like, this mm. is almost the player that Tottenham wants to sign, you know, when they did what, five, six year, mm. years ago now. Like, he really has become that player. Um, um I, I think as well just on Ericsson, I mean I think Eriksen, is he has been incredibly disappointing this year. Like, probably the most disappointing player I'd say for Tottenham so far. Um but his bugbear, I know, has always been that he wants to play more centrally. And he has always felt that he wants to be that kind of number ten guy who is given more responsibility. He doesn't want to be the guy on the left who just kind sort of every so often chips in a free kick. He wants to be the guy who says, All "Right, you are the playmaker in this team," and I think he has a bit of a thing where he doesn't think he gets enough recognition at Tottenham in that kind of way, maybe. And I think maybe this formation suits him best, really, because it, if he plays, I mean, I don't know if you think it's a 1-2, one, one, whether it's a two-one up front. I don't. Either way, it means Eriksen starts and plays more centrally, mm-hmm.
1: and therefore has more influence. The interesting a, thing uh, was. So the interesting thing was Spurs was saying I asked Spurs when Ali was injured and they said he was injured in in formation training on Saturday Mm. so when they were practising that formation presumably on Saturday morning so I imagine Ali was in that 11 initially Mm. and I just I tried to get it out of uh, out of Spurs who who was he in for I wonder obviously Mm. they weren't saying but I mean I yeah, I, I just it'd be interesting to know in his head, assuming that that formation wasn't a reaction to the Ali injury, assuming it was something he had in mind with Ali and the team. I wonder where he would have played and, and who wouldn't have started.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. It would have only been Eriksson. Can only really have a, been Eriksson. Ericsson.
1: Son. possibly Son, because he has worked he so well. Only, okay, well he's he's worked so only well, he's worked so well with Harry, and he, but it was kind of too up top, wasn't it? And mm. Delhi's never played up front for Spurs.
0: He is a kind of second striker and I win Kane
1: I, I I suppose and and actually he works so well with Kane getting him I always mm. think getting him as close to Kane as possible is is a good idea so it would have just been interesting and if this is going to be a kind of permanent part of Poshino's armory for the odd game it would be very interesting to see the personnel he uses when everyone's fit mm.
2: I I thought Son looked dangerous actually yesterday, especially Mm. in the first half. Early on, that first couple of runs in the first half, he was really finding little pockets of space, and and just behind Kane, he he was getting on the ball, and and you sort of thought, "Wow, he's got space here." You know, Mm. like like Arsenal didn't really get to grips with him early on, and I thought it suited him quite well as well because Son doesn't want to play up front. He doesn't want to play as the the leading the line. He wants to play just behind, kind of running between the full You know, getting the ball in and around like the sort of penalty area. I think it suits him as in a way it suits him as well. The people it doesn't suit maybe so much, are sort of Lamella maybe. So, so I think mm. those are the kind of players that, that will maybe will lose out as a result <clears throat> of this formation. Definitely,
0: yeah. it will be interesting. Just quickly on Dembele before we move on. I, I don't know where the quote came from, but apparently his teammates used to call him Doctor Dembele because you give him the ball and it makes everything better. Which I really. Where think did you is read great. that? It was on Twitter today, and I can't remember. It was a, it's an old quote, but the idea okay. is you give him the ball in any situation, and it. He will just make something better. <laughs> he doesn't need to do anything necessarily. He doesn't yeah. need to create anything. It's just, if you're if you're in trouble, give him the ball and he will generally be okay for yeah. the next 10 seconds <laughs> in possession. <laughs> He'll be absolutely fine. Um, just what I put that in before we move on. Uh, Dan, you mentioned the alley injury. It's a twisted knee, isn't it? And is it two weeks or something like that?
1: Postino said Early. a few weeks. Right. Okay. Spurs were saying today, <clears throat> no update.
0: Big shame considering Kane... He's coming back and is likely to be sort of at full pelt after the international break. Um, Walker limped off as well. Was there any news on that immediately? Uh, he's in the England
1: squad, so I think it's all right.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, fair point. Um, we were lucky last season with injuries. And, Tom, you've already said about how we had this pool of sort of 13, 14 players that we chose and could pick from the whole season. There was no injury. And we've said on this pod before about... Loris, Toby, Dembele and Kane are our spine and none of them got an injury last season and this season, at least one of them has been out of our starting lineup since the start of the season. I don't think they've all four of them have played a game together from the start. In the league, maybe, I am pulling stuff out of my arse here. <laughs> it's an aggressive um, stat. Yeah, 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 I don't think it can be far off. True, yeah. Well, Loris,
1: Toby, Dembele and Kane... Well Loris missed did he miss the first three. Hmm. missed the first. Four. And Dembele missed the first four. I think you're probably Kane. right. It can't actually. be far off. If they have yeah. then
0: they've probably only played one or two with a kind of a Yeah. Um but just in comparison, last season, between Loris, Aldevarold Dyer, Walker, Ali, Dembele, Ericsson, Lamella, and Kane, out of possible three hundred and four games that they could have played, they played two hundred and eighty-five between them. So, collectively, they only missed 19 all season. This season, they've already missed 15, and that is all competitions. Is this just a case of the added workload of the Champions League and things like that? Or is this just unlucky? Are we just kind of reaping... we reap the rewards last season, and we're just unlucky this season? Because nothing's really happened that... Like, Kane's injury was a a bad twist as a result of him going in for a challenge. Loris injured himself diving for the ball for... Barkley's goal didn't he against Everton. Out I'm of sure. a old kind. Of well, I
1: think he pulled a hammy before that running yeah, out kick, Right,
0: okay. But Toby injured himself jumping for a header and missing and jarring his knee and no, Everton
1: Demp- kicked him. Oh did he? Yeah, yeah I think it was <laughs> I think <laughs> landed on his That's knee with his studs. Not
0: so unlucky. Um, but no, I guess it is. It is unlucky, isn't it? Is this is this just what happens to every club or is the increased workload starting to take a bit of a toll?
1: I think it's a bit of both. I mean, there's definitely been an element of bad luck. Because by the sounds of it, Ali got injured running into someone in training, running into a teammate in training and twisting his Imagine knee. it was Ericsson. Ericsson <laughs> knew that he was going to be dropped. Yeah. Dangled
0: a leg. First tackle he's made all season. Sorry,
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's a bit of both. There's definitely an element of, of bad luck. And we got lucky last season. I mean in many respects, the cane injury came at quite a good time. I mean, imagine last season if it had happened in February or early March or something, it would have been an absolute disaster. But, I think also that most of these guys played in the Euros, they didn't have a summer off, it takes its toll. They they, they played in Spurs' post-season trip to Australia in May 2015. They, they played a the whole season, as you said, they barely missed a game then they went and played for their countries. like, eventually these things are going to take their toll and, Kane was saying today, I think he spoke to these guys after the Arsenal game, that actually, you know, maybe this injury will, will, will be a blessing because he's got some. he's had some time off, he's sort of rested muscles. Kane said that. Kane said that, yeah. Oh, right. he did, what did he say to you in the mix? In, in
2: terms of he might, you know, it gives him a break. Yeah, know, it's given time. him a break
1: and, and he basically hasn't had a rest for two
0: years. Because that's been a big debate amongst Spurs fans about is it going to be good or not? People saying it's it's never good to have your best striker out, which of course is understandable. But I think a lot of people were of that thinking. You know, he hasn't stopped. He literally hasn't stopped playing football in two years. Maybe even a little bit longer towards the tail end of Pochettino's first season. He was number one, and nobody else was challenging him. Um, he's not played. He's the, fun, not I, I, playing the funny football thing, thing is, I, I remember
1: years. one of our one of our colleagues, someone we who we work with a lot, saying just before he got injured, you know what? The best thing for Kane. Would be to get a a kind of four-week injury because Pochettino just wasn't going to drop him. Mm. He he just wasn't, Mm. and I'm not sure I fully agree with that because you know it it takes time to get up to speed. We can see he's not match fit. So
2: if Tottenham miss out on the top four or the title by two or three points, then it's not been a good thing. Because you would say that they might have beaten Leicester. They had Kane. They might Mm. have beaten Mm. Bournemouth. Now we don't know, but they. I'd say over the last seven weeks they might have picked up an extra. Three, four points, you yeah. know, like, and that, 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 you know, we we know from the past that that has been Tottenham's undoing early on, you know, they they've dropped points when they they shouldn't have done. Yeah. Um, I definitely think the Euros is a factor. It's, it's interesting now because I don't know if you remember, but like a couple of months ago, there was a big kind of. Favore about Wenger like not playing players early on. I think it was Koscielny maybe. I mean, who, Ramsey as well. I mean, Ramsey who yeah. left out in a couple of big games early on. And People were saying why, and they weren't playing well. Arsenal people were saying, why are you leaving out Koscielny? Like you know, we need him. Like you know, he, what he's, he's in the stands. Like you know, he's just sitting there and we're conceding goals. And Wenger obviously made a conscious decision. Look, we're going to have to take the the pain for three or four games and give these guys a rest. Whereas Tottenham kind of went the other way and said, look, I mean, I remember asking. Spurs, is Kane going to be given a bit of a rest? And they should sort of say, well, you know, he hasn't played any more games than Dyer last season or blah, blah, blah. But you kind of look at it now and you wonder if Pochettino might think actually that first two or three weeks we could have just, you know, maybe played Janssen early on, maybe mm. just played Son up front early on. I mean, it's easy to say now in hindsight when you look back and you look at this list, but I do think that was a factor.
0: So it pains me to obviously give Wenger credit, but he's been around for a long time and he's been around for what? five different, no, ten international tournaments in his time in England. He knows the effects it has on players. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe, yeah, there probably is something in that and it's time will tell, I guess. But I I was of the thinking at the time that Kane's injury was obviously a bit of a disaster in terms of short term, but he he's needed that for a while. And I think it's just been coming. I think we were probably lucky that it didn't happen last season, like you say, Dan, in... February, March sort of time.
1: Um, I think the other thing that I've put on the running order is that, I don't know if Tom will agree with this, but I've sort of sensed a running theme in the last kind of month to five weeks since the Man City game, a running theme in his press conferences and whenever he's spoken to the media. Of, he's not articulated it very well, but... I kind of feel like there's been lots of little problems with injuries that maybe haven't been reported behind the scenes. He sort of alluded to colds and knocks and players not sleeping well and coming back from international duty and all this stuff. And I think after the City game, the whole squad was really disrupted and he sort of struggled to put together those pieces. And you know, it's just a, Another And th- those guys who who went away after the City game were the same players who were away for the Euros. And I, I think it's all just a cumulative effect, really. And
0: are they the same players that are away this week as well? Oh, well, yeah, and they're the Pretty same much. players that go
1: away this week. And actually... You know, the international breaks can either be a really good thing or a really bad thing or or somewhere in between. And I think after the City game, it was obviously a really bad thing. Spurs had a load of momentum and then all, all these guys came back and Pochettino said, so-and-so's had a 15-hour flight, so-and-so's not slept, Danny Rose is injured, blah, blah, blah. Actually, maybe this international break might be a good thing because Spurs do have a lot of players who... who who are half fit and mm. maybe need to recover or like Alderville needs to recover and maybe Kane could do with the match practice. So it can go either way, but I do sense that that's kind of been a, a running theme of, of the last month, which is just these, these small problems that perhaps haven't been reported mm. like, like, at the Kane injury and road injury, which obviously been headline news.
2: Yeah, I mean, Pochettino doesn't like talking about injuries. He doesn't like talking about fitness, sort of issues in general. Like if you ask him, are the players tired? He, it's one of the. I mean, he is generally very amiable about most things, and you know, nothing. Yeah, but it, this is one issue I think he is slightly sensitive on. You know, when people say, you know, are Tottenham gonna? Um, like get tired at the end of the season, you know? Are they are they overworked already? You know, whenever Tottenham go through a bad run, it's you know they, they look they look fatigued, you know. And he doesn't he doesn't like addressing those issues. And you know, when we asked him a couple of weeks ago about the injuries, is this just bad luck or is it is it a, an accumulation of the work they've done over the last twelve months? You know, he was quite prickly. You know, he sort of said, hmm. "This is definitely just unlucky." Bristling, bristling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, "This is definitely just unlucky." You know, like he doesn't. I mean, maybe in denial is slightly too strong, but I think he, Pochettino needs to just... I mean, they are very scientific Tottenham, about everything to do with fitness. So, you know, I don't think we can really say, you know, tell them anything about it. But I do think that there is an issue maybe for him to kind of look at because obviously so much of the way Tottenham plays depends on athleticism and, and, and fitness and aggression. But he has to also maybe see that sometimes that has does have an effect on the players, you know, and, and if, if it happens again at the end of this season... It'll be very difficult for him to argue, I think, that it doesn't have third a significant it would be the third English or football time that yeah. it's, it's happened.
0: Yeah. Just before we move on, Ben, uh, Ben at Ben Lewis 0795, acquaintance of the pod. Um, He's been downgraded
1: from friend of the pod. <laughs> He's, he was not very nice to me earlier, so, all right. uh, sorry, okay.
0: Ben. Um, just before we move on, why do we blindly send semi-injured players on international duty? Why... Klopp, for example, regularly withdraws five or six fit players. Um, I think that ties in with what you guys were just saying. Is as Pochettino got a bit of a blind spot for this sort of thing, or is he just is he just not kind of experienced enough to be like Ferguson and Wenger and Klopp to be like, oh, actually, yeah, we can't send him. He's he's got a knock, and because we've got Dier, Walker, Rose, and Kane, three of them have had an injury this season pretty recently and we're, they're all off, and they're probably going to, at least three of them are likely to play two games.
1: Yeah, I had an argument with, well, not an argument, a discussion with one of my colleagues, John Bruin, on Twitter today about this, and he was saying, I said, I think it's a bit of a piss take that Kane's included in that squad, although maybe the match practice will do him good. And John said, well, it's an England qualifier, it's an important game, he's match fit, Spurs would be in breach of the rules if they did something, but I think, you know, Pochettino's, could legitimately say if he didn't want Kane to play. There's no one that's done more for England's hmm. national team than I have in the last three or four years. This guy is not really fit. I want him to stay on the training ground and work. I don't think it will be beneficial to playing games. Would you mind not picking him? And I, I don't think Southgate would really be in a strong position to say no. But I don't think Pochettino is, is, is the kind of manager who wants to do that. And... I, I do think he's maybe a little bit soft on on dealing with with that Mm. kind of thing. I mean, Danny Rose is the perfect example. I think he he got injured playing for England, which was a slightly dodgy scenario. It was the one Sam Analyse game, and apparently he pulled his hammy midway through the match, and either he didn't say anything or they didn't take him off. He was then out for something like a month, came back, played full 90 against Man City, and then played two nearly full games for England. I think Bertrand got injured... Fairly early on, Rose played about 80 minutes and he played 90 minutes against Slovenia. So in a way, you know, the the Bertrand injury, you can't can't kind of legislate for that. But England didn't call up another left-back. Rose played two 90-minute games when he'd only just come back. And actually he hasn't, until the Arsenal game, I think he hasn't looked great since then. And, And there's a case that that's quite irresponsible and Spurs should have been a bit stronger on it and said, look, he's not playing the second game. Obviously they didn't and I do wonder whether Pochettino's just a little bit just a little bit too soft and and not kinda willing to interfere and and in national teams and and make it political.
2: If this was Ferguson, like you know, five, six, seven years ago then it was Rooney, had been out for seven weeks and he'd played one one game, there's absolutely no way he would have gone on this. Mm -hmm. Somebody
0: on Twitter in response to Ben's question actually did say that maybe Pochettino Kind of does love international football. There's a there's a kind of a pride that he just wants to, almost push onto the players as well. He he got a lot of caps for Argentina and he, it's it's he loved it. You know he always talk he talks about his time mm. with the Argentina
2: team. I don't know maybe there's something in that. Yeah, place. I mean I think he. I, I think there is something in there, but I think even more than that, he takes great pride in in producing players for England. Like it's a massive. Like he really enjoys it when people say, you know, ah, oh, you produce, you know, whatever it is, twenty out of the last twenty-one players have started. He likes that, and he says, yeah, you know, like this is this is what we want to do. This is this is great for Spurs. It's great for England. You know, he he really takes pride in that record. And I'm not saying that's why he lets players go, but he does. He doesn't think of England as a pain in the ass for, for Tottenham. He like he thinks it, it's a good thing. You know, he mm. thinks it. it, it Creates a team spirit, creates culture. He, he likes that.
1: Yeah,
0: fair enough. Um, one player we haven't really mentioned a lot so far is Jan Vertonghen. I thought Vertonghen was close to being a man in a match yesterday. If not, I think he was maybe a little bit better than Dembele. Um, I thought he was brilliant yesterday, Vertonghen. And I think he's been brilliant all season. And he's kind of had to be because he's the only player out of our squad so far to have played every minute of Premier League and Champions League um, so far admittedly Toby probably would have been on that as well um, maybe even Rose not sure if he would have played all the Champions League but he, he has played every single minute and he has been very very good and he's been um, amongst the top ranking defenders according to what was I looking at Squawker where did they get their stats? Opta looking at Opta yesterday um, made more clearances than anyone in the league this season and has only committed eight fouls in 11 games which I was like that's that's amazing and then I looked at it and I was like a lot of other players have kind of done the same and Toby last year made about six fouls the whole season didn't he (laughs) is that right (laughs) something stupid something stupid like that um the only player to have played more games than uh, Vertonghen since he joined the club is Loris. And as a goalkeeper, I think that's to be ex- expected. Do you think he deserves a bit more credit than maybe what he gets? And is there a reason why you think he's maybe not rated quite as highly as amongst sort of the best in the league? Because I definitely don't think he's talked about in the same regard as Alderweireld, as Koscielny, uh others... I was going to say Wes Morgan and Robert Hoof I was like, they're title winners and then I realised they're just dirge Uh,
1: Yeah, he's sort of blown a bit hot and cold at Tottenham, hasn't he, for I mean, he was brilliant in his first season wasn't that when he got in the PFA team of the year Mm. and he scored loads of goals and he had this weird link-up with Bale where they always kind of assist each other for goals and he was like an attacking threat as well as probably the best defender in the league and then there was Sherwood, and he didn't quite do it. And then the early days under Poch, where he was kind of in and out, and he got dropped for Fazio a couple of times. The ultimate, insult. yeah, the, yeah, the the greatest shame. <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually, he's he's had a couple of dodgy games. I thought, I thought against Monaco, he was he was quite poor at Wembley, and apparently Poch was unhappy with him after that game and gave him quite a, quite a public bollock, well, a, a bollocking in front of the rest of the team. So I think maybe that's why he doesn't get the recognition because he has he has been a bit up and he down has a bit as good as Griffin. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Cause <laughs> he had, I think he's been a bit up and down but then yeah I think like more or less every member of the squad since Pochettino's been at the club uh, he, he's improved a lot and I mean let's, he's been part of the best defense a big part of the best defense in the league last season he's now part of what's the strongest defense in the league at the moment so yeah he definitely deserves a lot of credit. I mean, I wonder if part of the reason with
2: Vertonghen is that people kind of see him as a—he's got a bit of a—he's a bit spiky. Like Vertonghen mm. isn't he? He's not sort of the you know, definitive club man who kind of goes along with everything that everyone else does. You know, he—he he definitely has a bit of an ego, I think. Like, and but but I think that's kind of fine. Like, I think like, people often say with Tottenham, oh, there's not enough leaders on the pitch, and when they're when they're losing, like, who's who's the rallying? guy? I mean, Loris is a is a nice guy, and he's got achieved a lot, but he's not the kind of captain who's sort of going to be barking out everybody. Mm. And Vertonghen almost is that voice, I think. And and often, you know, an, an ego comes with leadership, right? Like, you can't, you know, often leaders are the, the people who actually, are the people who kind of get arsy on the training ground. They are the people who get arsy when you lose and things like that. And I think Vertonghen, he does, like, Virod is, is a great defender. And, and I think we all think probably better than Vertonghen. But he's not... A massive voice in the changing room. He's like he's quite a quiet, reserved kind of guy out of Viral. Whereas Batong I think is a bit more. He's part of that kind of leadership three or f- three or four players in, in the Tottenham dressing room. And in that way, I wonder. You know, people kind of think, oh, he, you know, he holds out for contracts, and you know, he has kind of thrown his toys out the pram a couple of times here and there. But if you want characters and you want kind of personalities and leaders in the team, you have to kind of take that as well. I, I think he's been really good this season. I think. Mm. I think so far this year he's been playing as well as I've ever seen him play for Spurs, and certainly in the last sort of you know few games I think he's been great, been really good. I think he's quite funny in a dry way as well. You don't get much out of him, but there's
0: one of my one of the memories of Vertonghen is we went and won the Peace Cup or something like that in I don't know like Malaysia or something like that. It may have been the beginning of last season. And they had to do a trophy presentation at the end um, of the game. It was like we'd beaten a Malaysia eleven and like Inter's under nines or something like that. And they did a a trophy thing. There wasn't even a a podium. It was just players on the pitch with a, a trophy. And Loris just sort of held it up purely for cameras, like if nothing else. Just him and I think it may have even been Potts just kind of both had a handle, held it up. Tongan was going bananas in the background, <laughs> like jumping around, like scarves around, <laughs> he's like whipping it around and stuff, like dragging people in to kind of celebrate with him. And I just feel like that's the sort of thing that I probably would have done. And I'd, I'd find a bit of... you saying you're like Jan? He's a moody but funny man. <laughs> and i <I'll> am <laughs> prepared to take that mantle. I just think he's really funny. And I think that even the... I mean, I, I,
1: you, would you sort of stand in the tunnel with your arms behind your back looking Well that's what I was just about to point out. I
0: do think that that is part of a massive reason why Spurs fans have still got a bit of a well,
1: that was total bollocks though. It was. Someone someone pulled out pictures from the tunnel before like Belgium's biggest games and that's exactly how he's standing. Exactly. Like, it's just what he, exactly. does. he just doesn't
0: care. Like in a, in a, in a, he does he gives a shit, but I don't think it really matters how he looks in a tunnel. Um but it's quite a, for some reason, still quite a major factor. It's just like, well, he downed tools as much as anyone else. Like, well, you would if Tim Sherwood's your manager,
1: wouldn't you? And if you're like that anyway, then
0: you might as well just be laying down if you're that laid back.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I think the bottom line is that let's say he, he doesn't sign a new contract and that Spurs have to sell him or, or he decides to leave. It's going to be really, really difficult to find a defender who's better than him, especially given his relationship with Alderfield. they've They've talked about it... Kind of being not telepathic. What's the word I'm looking for? Kind of instinctive, because mm. they've played together for so long. So he's the kind of player that, I suppose, wouldn't really be able to upgrade on, even if he's not a player you'll consider one of the best in the Premier League. I mean, where would you find a better centre back? Mm.
2: He's technically so, like, so slightly left foot, right foot, and yeah, mm. he can pass. He can when he, you when you see someone give him a ball, sometimes that is slightly awkward. And I think ninety percent of centre backs in the league would it would go out of play. He somehow brings it down and the little thing sometimes I think you don't see maybe in on match in the highlight like he Vertonghen keeps Tottenham ticking over like Alderweireau does like to have two centre-backs who could effectively probably play central midfield for 10 teams in the division mm. is a massive, massive plus because like when they get the ball they're so comfortable on it like they, they can pass they can carry it forward they can, they effectively like two defensive midfielders for Spurs when they play together and that mm. is like a that is a, a huge advantage.
1: Mm. Yeah, in fact go, you know I'll go so far as to say the standard defending in the Premier League is genuinely crap. It's not very good. And Spurs have two really good centre-halves. And if you look at Liverpool, I mean, everyone's talking about them as title contenders, and rightly so, because they look unbelievable going forward. But they still have got Lovren in the centre-half. Yeah, yeah. You can't get away from them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so... Yeah, I think Spurs fans should really appreciate with and hopefully he's going to be the next player to sign a new contract. Oh, he still hasn't... Still hasn't sign. He still hasn't signed. No, that's been in, okay, oh, been Fair in enough. the pipeline for about three years.
0: More days. Um, we should do some listener questions because we've got about five minutes. Oh, left. you got time, got... Tom? A couple, couple of minutes, been... yeah. First, Memory Man at Thfc. Memory Man. Did the 2010-11 Champions League season create a false expectation for this first season back, or have we just been poor/slash unprepared
1: in the Champions League?
0: Yeah, I think it was mainly aimed at the Champions League. I think there's a lot there is a lot in that and I think that it was so amazing that first season that we had um, If Um because if anything I think we're more prepared this time round we are we're probably more stringent in our preparation for the opposition for our individual play for our team play Um but it just hasn't really clicked for one reason or another but we haven't really got that magic of the first time round Um but we have just been poor I don't think there's much more to it than that is there
1: yeah I, I, I agree with that I think it's a good point Because that season, looking back, it seems so easy. It's the first season in the Champions League and Spurs what topped the group, ahead of the European champions, got through the last 16. Top scorers. Top scorers in the group. And actually, if you look at teams that haven't really played that much Champions League football and are inexperienced historically, like Manchester City being the best example... How many years did it take them to just get out of the group and put mm. a decent show together? Like four or five seasons before they f- it finally got there last year. And they're even struggling this year uh, with Pep, although I think the Barcelona wins put them in a pretty good position. But yeah, I think we, we all went into it probably thinking, oh, you know, that season under Harry oh, was we so good. And you forget that, you know, teams like Leverkusen. Even Monaco, they've got a lot more Champions League experience than Tottenham do. Even CSKA, mm. they know what they're doing, and that really counts for something. And Spurs have a lot of players who have never done that before, and it's it's really fucking difficult. And, <laughs> and credit to. I always think, you know, Redknapp gets a bit of a hard time, but the way he just waltzed through that Champions League <laughs> campaign was, was <laughs> in well, hindsight, uh, uh, really uh, amazing. It an equally
0: inexperienced team as well. Yeah, it was... I mean, obviously... Was, again,
1: he, he, had, he had sort of two of the best players in the world that we didn't really realise at the time, but mm. even so... Okay. It, yeah, Benoit and Tommy Huddleston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Tom? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it would be, dis- be disappointing if they don't get out of the group, obviously. I mean, I think when the draw came out... I think Moscow was a top C team, right? Am I right I'm saying that? I think they were the top C team. Were well, they? Because the they are Russian league, champions. Yeah, that's right. Mm. It, and Tottenham, so they could have mm. got any of the other... That was mm. by far the best team they could have got in their group. They got a really kind draw. I, I take that about the experience point. I think that's fair. That You know, Moscow they played a lot more Champions League football than Tottenham have. But when you look at, like, Leicester, you know, winning for fun yeah. in the Champions mm. League, you sort of think, actually, you know, yeah, I That's mean, kind of
1: ruined my point. But I
2: get, yeah, I Again. guess that first time they're round.
1: just playing in the Champions League this season. Also, yeah. their, their group is terrible. Their group is a, <laughs> is a stag tour. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> Porto, <laughs> Copenhagen, and he's 13 Bruges. So that it's like, is, could not be a better away game to all. That is the
0: most disparaging thing you could possibly yeah. say about a Champions League group. Like They're doing really well. It's like, you... Yeah, they're just doing. I was kind of meant, a, of meant for they're the doing, fans. They're doing a <laughs> railway tour, aren't they? Basically, of Europe. Um, no, but still, it's valid. Fuck Leicester. Um, last question, Richie at Richie Puk or Richie Puck. Would you take winning the title this season if it meant getting hammered in every North London derby for the next ten years? Yes hammered you'd win a title and that, that's after 10 we did that for 10 years <laughs>
2: You yeah, did it for 20 so yeah, it was horrible might as yeah well uh,
1: yeah I probably would
2: but in 10 years time when you're losing what 6-1 drubbed yeah hammered and they're saying you know what what 10 years ago you won the title so what we've been 6-1 every single time now for 10 years but then
0: once that 10 years is
2: up we can and get back to
0: business
1: every north london derby though
0: but if you get used to it, <laughs> <laughs> again, we did this for 10 yeah. years. We know what we're doing. And if yeah. you
1: know
2: it's going to happen, if you've signed this contract, yeah. then maybe you just start playing you're like your reserves or something, so that it doesn't become... That's not That's and... not a bad point. Yeah. It's found yeah. a loophole. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Right off every game. We don't give a shit. We won the title. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, go on. Focusing
0: the Champions League. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Great, right. good stuff. Cheers, guys. Uh, Tom, thanks very much for coming down. No um, is there anything that we me. should be looking out for from you in the next few weeks?
2: Not over the international break no sitting back
0: so are we we're not going to be here next week probably no um, because it's international break
2: and we like having a break this year sorry yeah I've
1: got something on on Monday I can't remember what But oh. we were saying
2: before I feel like everyone has a break from football like the international break it's like a time to go and See your girlfriends, maybe like just do some shopping or you know, like go and visit some museums you know, sort of <laughs> you know, the, the world that's the outside, level of what you football, outside. You can do outside football. Go <laughs> shopping. See
0: the person that you're seeing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, we're not gonna be here next week. We've got West Dam after this international break, haven't we? Um, we yeah, we, what, what would we really do in a preview of that? Probably mess it up as normal.
1: Yeah.
2: Be, well Dan we can't with are very reasoned prediction and then he'd be right and then we'd you know yeah precisely five days later no need
1: to worry everyone we're gonna beat West Ham
2: there you go big call
0: looking Done. forward to that coming back um Dan thanks very much for coming down you're welcome nice to mate. See you and as you. ever uh, we'll see you in two weeks time for a West Ham preview uh, review and Chelsea preview thanks very much see you later bye,
1: bye. Come any Spurs <laughs>